Welcome to Drift Off, bedtime stories to help you unwind, relax, and drift off. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Joanne, and it's a pleasure helping you get restful sleep. I created this podcast because I wanted to provide a quiet space for comfort for my listeners. Life can get really busy, and I want this podcast to be a soft place to land at the end of the day where you feel safe and cozy as I read you a bedtime story to help you unwind and relax as you ease into a restful night's sleep. So if you're enjoying the podcast and want to support the show so that we can continue to bring you even more sleepy bedtime stories, we've created a premium membership where you can enjoy relaxing, intro and ad-free listening, two monthly bonus episodes, as well as access to a monthly guided sleep relaxation or sleep hypnosis that you can use at bedtime to help you sleep. Go sign up at driftoff.supercast.com or see the link in the show notes. That's driftoff.supercast.com. This week on Drift Off, we're asking you to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. This is a free way to support the podcast while giving you a chance to share what you love about the show. You can let us know which episode is your favorite, and it helps other sleepy listeners discover Drift Off too. It's super easy. Hop onto Apple Podcasts, scroll down our show page, select a star rating, and then tap Write a Review. We'll be sure to take a look and share some of our fan favorites and upcoming episodes. Thank you for your support. It truly is an honor helping you get restful sleep. Tonight I will be reading from the made-up book series by Enos Haynes Irwin, published in 1909. The story is about a sweet little girl named Maida who is sickly and lame. Her father is well known to be one of the most wealthiest men in America. He decides to buy her a little shop in Charleston, Massachusetts, to give her a purpose and to help restore her health. However, he has one condition, that she not tell anyone who she is or who her father is. And for the first time in her life, Maida makes wonderful new friends because they think she's just an ordinary girl. And so, as always, my friend, settling comfortably under the covers, Take a slow, comfortable breath. And as you exhale, relax and let go. Allow any tension to just melt away. Letting your body sink deeper and deeper down into the softness of your bed. There is nothing left to do and nowhere else to be. So just lay back, relax, and enjoy the story. Thank you. 
Chapter 14 Christmas Happenings Maida was awakened early Christmas morning by a long, wild peal of the bell. Before she could collect her scattered wits, she heard Rosie's voice. Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Oh, Granny, won't you please let me run upstairs and wake Maida? I've got something dreadfully important to tell her. Maida heard Granny's bewildered, All right, child heard Rosie's rush through the living room, and then she bounded out of bed, prickling all over with excitement. Maida, Rosie called from the stairs. Wake up! I have something wonderful to tell you. But Maida had guessed it. I know, she cried, as Rosie burst into the room. Your mother's come home. My mother's come home, Rosie echoed. The two little girls seized each other and hopped around the room in a mad dance. Maida chanting in a deep sing-song, Your mother's come home! And Rosie screaming at the top of her lungs, My mother's come home! After a few moments of this, they sank exhausted on the bed. Tell me all about it, Maida gasped. Begin at the very beginning and don't leave anything out. Well then, Rosie began, I will. When I went to bed last night after leaving you, I got to thinking of my mother, and pretty soon I was so sad that I nearly cried my eyes out. Well, after a long while I got to sleep, and I guess I must have been very tired, for I didn't wake up the way I do generally of my own accord. Aunt Teresa had to wake me. She put on my best dress, and did my hair this new way, and even let me put cologne on. I couldn't think why, because I never dress up until afternoons. Once when I looked at her, I saw there were tears in her eyes, and oh, Maida, it made me feel something awful, for I thought she was going to tell me that my mother was dead. When I came downstairs, my father hugged me and kissed me and sat with me while I ate my breakfast. Oh, I was so afraid he was going to tell me that mother was dead, but he didn't. After a while, he said, Your Christmas presents are all up in your mother's bedroom, Rosie. So I skipped up there. My father and Aunt Teresa didn't come with me, but I noticed they stood downstairs and listened. I opened the door. Rosie stopped for a breath. Go on, Maida entreated. Oh, do hurry. Well, there, lying on the bed, was my mother, Maida. I felt so strange that I couldn't move. My feet wouldn't walk, just like in a dream. My mother said, Come here, my precious little girl but it sounded as if it came from way, way off. And Maida, then I could move. I ran across the room and hugged her and kissed her until I couldn't breathe. Then she said, I have a beautiful Christmas gift for you, little daughter. And she pulled something over towards me that lay all wrapped up in a shawl on the bed. What do you think it was? 
I don't know. Tell me, Rosie. Guess, Rosie insisted, her eyes dancing. Rosie, if you don't tell me this minute, I'll pinch you. It was a baby, a little baby brother. A baby? Oh, Rosie. The two little girls hopped about the room in another mad dance. Maida, he's the sweetest baby that ever was in the whole wide world. His name is Edward. He's only six weeks old and he can smile. Smile, Rosie? He can. I saw him. And sneeze. Sneeze, Rosie? That's not all, said Rosie proudly. He can wink his eyes and double up his fists and a whole lot of things. There's no doubt that he's a remarkable baby. My mother says so. And pretty as, oh, he's prettier than any puppy I ever saw. He's a little too pink in the face and he hasn't much hair yet. There's a funny spot in the top of his head that goes up and down all the time that you have to be dreadfully careful about. But he certainly is the loveliest baby I ever saw. What do you think my mother let me do? Oh, what? She let me rock him for a moment, and I asked her if you could rock him someday, and she said you could. Oh, oh, and what else do you think she's going to let me do? I can't guess. Oh, tell me, quick, Rosie. She says she's going to let me give him his bath Saturday and Sundays and wheel him out every day in his carriage. Rosie, Maida said impressively, you ought to be the happiest little girl in the world. Think of having a baby brother for a Christmas present. You will let me wheel him sometimes, won't you? Of course I will. I shall divide him exactly in half with you. Where has your mother been all this time? Maida asked. Oh, she's been dreadfully sick in a hospital. She was sick after the baby came to her. So sick that she couldn't even take care of him. She said they were afraid she was going to die. But she's all right now. Father bought her for Christmas a beautiful, long red silk dress that's just to lie down in. She looks like a queen in it, and yet she looks like a little girl too, for her hair is done in two braids. Her hair comes way down below her waist like your mother's hair, and when I gave her the little silver heart, she was so pleased with it. She put it right on, and it looked sweet. She said she would much rather wear it on a black velvet ribbon than on a silver chain. Everything's come out all right, hasn't it? Maida said with ecstasy. I guess it has. Now I must go. I want to be sure to be there when the baby wakes up. I asked my mother when you could see the baby, Maida, and she said tomorrow. I can't wait to show you its feet. You never did see such little toes in your life. Exciting as this event was, it was nothing to what followed. Granny and Maida were still talking about Rosie's happiness when Billy Potter suddenly came marching through the shop and into the living room. 
Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, they all said at once. Granny, Billy asked immediately, if you could have your choice of all the Christmas gifts in the world, which one would you choose? An expression of bewilderment came into Granny's bright blue eyes. A Christmas gift, Mr. Billy, she said in an uncertain tone. I can't think of anything as long as I can't have my little Annie with me. Maida saw Billy's eyes snap and sparkle at the word Annie. She wondered what... Could it be possible that... She began to tremble. And so, you'd choose your daughter, Granny? Billy questioned. Choose my daughter? Of course I would. Granny stopped to stare in astonishment at Billy. Oh, Billy, if you could only find her. She gazed imploringly at him. Billy continued to smile at her, his eyes all scrinkled up. Granny jumped to her feet. She seized Billy's arm. Oh, Mr. Billy, you have found her, she quavered. Billy nodded. I found her, Granny. I told you I would, and I have. Now don't get excited. She's all right, and you're all right, and everything's all right. She'll be here just as soon as you're ready to see her. For a moment, Maida was afraid Granny was going to faint, for she dropped back into her chair and her eyes filled with tears. But at the old fire came back to her eyes, the color to her cheeks. Oh, I want to see her at once, she said with spirit. Listen, Billy said. Last night, I happened to fall into conversation with a young Irishman who had come to read the gas meter in my house. I asked him where he came from. He said, Aldegary County Sligo. I asked him if he knew Annie Flynn. Sure, didn't she marry my cousin? She lives. Well, the short of it is, I went right over to see her, though it was late then. I found her a widow with two children, she nearly went crazy at the prospect of seeing her mother again, but we agreed that we must wait until morning. We planned... Oh, come in, Annie, he called suddenly. At his call, the shop door opened and shut. There was a rush of two pairs of feet through the shop. In the doorway appeared a young woman carrying a baby. Behind her came a little boy on crutches. Granny stood like a marble statue staring, but Maida screamed. Who do you suppose they were? They were Mrs. Dorr and Delia and Dickie. Oh, my mother, Mrs. Dorr said. My little Annie, my little girl, Granny murmured. The tears began to stream down her cheeks, followed kissings and huggings by the dozen, followed questions and answers by the score. And to think you've been living near us all this time, Granny said after the excitement had died down. She was sitting on the couch now, 
with Delia asleep in her lap. Mrs. Dorr on one side and Dickie on the other. She cuddled Delia close. Oh, I'm the happiest woman in the whole wide world this day. It was arranged that the two families were to have Christmas dinner together. Dickie and Mrs. Dorr hurried back for a few moments to bring their turkey to the feast. Granny, will you love me just the same now that you've got Dickie and Delia? Maida said wistfully. Love you, my lamb? Of course I'll love you all the more, for it was through you I met Mr. Billy, and through Mr. Billy I found my Annie. When Mrs. Dorr returned, mother and daughter went to work on the dinner, while Billy and Maida and Dickie trimmed the tree. When the door opened, they caught bits of conversation. Granny's brogue growing thicker and thicker in her excitement, and Mrs. Dorr relapsing under its influence into old country speech. At such times, Maida noticed that Billy's eyes always scrinkled up. They were just putting the finishing touches to the tree when the window darkened suddenly. Maida looked up in surprise, and then... Oh, my papa's come, she screamed. My papa's come to my Christmas tree after all. There is so much to tell about the Christmas tree that I don't know where to begin. First of all came Laura and Harold. Mrs. Lathrop stopped with them for a moment to congratulate Mrs. Dore on finding her mother. Mrs. Lathrop, permit me to introduce my father, Mr. Westerbrook, Maida said. Mrs. Lathrop was very gracious. The neighborhood have accepted your daughter as Mrs. Flynn's grandchild, Mr. Westerbrook, but I guessed the truth from the first. I believed, however, that you wished the matter kept a secret, and I have said nothing of it to anybody. I thank you, madam, said Buffalo Westerbrook, bending on her one of his piercing scrutinies, However the neighborhood accepted her, they have given her back her health. I can never be too grateful to them. Came Rosie next with a, Oh, Maida, if you could only have seen Edward when my mother bathed him tonight. Came Arthur, came the Doyles, came the Clark twins with Betsy tagging at their heels. Last of all, to Maida's great delight, came Dr. Pierce. Nobody was allowed to go into the shop where the tree stood until the last guest had arrived, but in spite of their impatience, they had a gay half hour of waiting. Billy amused them with all kinds of games and tricks and jokes, and when he tired, Dr. Pierce, who soon became a great favorite, took them in hand. Dr. Pierce sat most of the evening holding Betsy in his lap, listening to her funny baby chatter and roaring at her escapades. He took a great fancy to the Clark twins and made all manner of fun for the children by pretending that there was only one of them. Goodness, how do you fly about, he would say ruefully to Dorothy. An instant ago, you were standing close beside me, or... 
How can you be here on the couch, he would say to Mabel, when there you are as plain as Pikestaff standing up in the corner. What can you do about that leg, Ellie? Mr. Westerbrook asked Dr. Pierce once when Dickie swung across the room. I've been thinking about that, Dr. Pierce answered briskly. I guess Granny and Annie will have to let me take Dickie for a while. A few months in my hospital, and he'll be jumping round here like a frog with a toothache. Oh, Dr. Pierce, do you think you can cure him? Mrs. Dorr asked, clasping her hands. Cure him? Dr. Pierce answered with his jolliest laugh. Of course we can. He's not in half so bad a condition as Maida was when we straightened her out. Grindschmidt taught us a whole bag of tricks. Dickie could almost mend himself if he'd only stay still long enough. Look at Maida. Would you ever think she'd been much worse than Dickie? Everybody stared hard at Maida, seated on her father's knee, and she dimpled and blushed under the observation. She was dressed all in white. White ribbons, white sash, white socks and shoes. The softest, filmiest, white cobweb dress. Her hair streamed loose, a cascade of delicate clinging ringlets of the palest gold. Her big, grey eyes, soft with happiness of the long day, reflected the firelight. Her cheeks had grown round as well as pink and dimpled. She did not look sick. Oh, Dickie, she cried. Just think, you're going to be cured. Didn't I tell you when my father saw you he'd fix it all right? My father's a magician. But Dickie could not answer. He was gulping furiously to keep back the tears of delight. But he smiled his radiant smile. Billy took everybody's attention away from him by turning an unexpected cartwheel in the middle of the floor. Finally, Maida announced that it was time for the tree. They formed in line and marched into the shop to a tune that Billy thumped out of the silver-toned old spinet. I wish you could have heard the things the children said. The tree went close to the ceiling. Just above it, with arms outstretched, swung a beautiful Christmas angel. Hanging from it were all kinds of glittery, quivery, sparkly things in silver and gold. Festooned about it were strings of popcorn and cranberries. At every branch tip glistened a long glass icicle, and the whole thing was ablaze with candles and veiled in a mist of gold and silver. At the foot of the tree, groups of tiny figures in painted plaster told the whole Christmas Day story, from the moment of the first sight of the star by the shepherds who watched their flocks, to the arrival at the manger of the wise men bearing gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Billy Potter disappeared for a moment and came in presently the most chubby and pink-faced and blue-eyed of Santa Clauses, in purple velvet trimmed with ermine, with long white hair and a long white beard. I can't begin to name to you all the fruits of that magic tree. From Maida, 
there came to Rosie a big golden cage with a pair of canary birds. To Arthur, a chest of wonderful tools. To Dickie, a little bookcase full of beautiful books. To Laura, a collection of sashes and ribbons. To Harold, a long train of cars. For Molly, Betsy, and the Clark twins came so many gifts that you could hardly count them all. Dolls and dolls' wardrobes, tiny dollhouses and tinier doll furniture. For Tim came a sled and bicycle. To Maida came a wonderful set of paper boxes from Dickie, a long necklace of carved beads from Arthur, a beautiful blank book with all her candy recipes beautifully written out from Rosie, a warm little pair of knitted bed shoes from Granny, a quaint little old-fashioned locket from Dr. Pierce. He said it had once belonged to another little sick girl who died. From Billy came a book. Perhaps you can fancy how Maida jumped when she read The Crystal Ball by William Potter on the cover. But I don't think you can imagine how pleased she looked when inside she read the printed dedication to Petronilla. From her father came a beautiful miniature of her mother painted on ivory. The children crowded about her to see the beautiful face of which Maida had told them so much. There was the mass of golden hair which she had described so proudly. There, too, was a heart-shaped pendant of diamonds suspended from a black velvet ribbon tied close to the white throat. The children looked at the picture. Then they looked at each other. But Maida did not notice. She was watching eagerly while Dr. Pierce and Billy and her father opened her gifts to them. She was afraid they would not understand. They're to save time, you see, when you want to shave in a hurry, she explained. Maida, her father said gravely, that is a very thoughtful gift. It's strange when you come to think of it. As busy a man as I am and with all the friends I have, nobody has ever thought to give me a safety razor. I don't know how I ever managed to get along without one, Dr. Pierce declared, his curls bobbing. As for me, I shall probably save about a third of my income in the future, Billy announced. All three were so pleased that they laughed for a long time. I'm going to give you another Christmas gift, Maida, Mr. Westerbrook said suddenly. I'm going to give us both one, a vacation. We're going to start for Europe week after next. Oh, Papa, Papa, how lovely, Maida said. Shall we see Venice again? But how can I give up my little shop and my friends? Maida going away, the children exclaimed. Oh dear, oh dear. But Mr. Westerbrook, isn't Maida coming back again? Rosie asked. How I shall miss her, Laura chimed in. Take my lamb away, Granny wailed. Sure she'll get sick in those wild countries. You'll have to take me with you, Mr. Westerbrook. Only, only... She did not finish her sentence, 
but her eyes went anxiously to her daughter's face. No, Granny, you're not to go, Mr. Westerbrook said decisively. You're to stay right here with your daughter and her children. You're all to run the shop and live over it. Maida's old enough and well enough to take care of herself now, and I think she'd better begin to take care of me as well. Don't you think so, Maida? Of course I do, Papa. If you need me, I want to. Mr. Westerbrook, Molly broke into the conversation determinedly. Did you ever give Maida a pair of ponies? Mr. Westerbrook bent on the robin the most amused of his smiles. Yes, he said. And an automobile, Tim asked. Mr. Westerbrook turned to the bogle. Yes, he said, a little puzzled. And did Maida's mother have a gold brush with her initials in diamonds on it, Rosie asked. Mr. Westerbrook roared. Yes, he said. And have you got twelve peacocks? Two of them white, Arthur asked. Yes. And has Maida a little theater of her own and a dollhouse as big as a cottage, Laura asked. Yes. And did she have a May party last year that she invited over 400 children to, Harold asked. Yes. And did you give her her weight in silver dollars once, Mabel asked. Yes. And a family of 20 dolls, Dorothy asked. Yes. You shall see all these things when we come back, Mr. Westerbrook promised. Then why did she run away? Betsy asked solemnly. Everybody laughed. I always said Maida was a princess in disguise, Dickie maintained. And now I suppose she's going back and be a princess again. Dickie was the first friend I made, Papa, Maida said, smiling at her first friend. But you'll come back sometime, won't you, Maida? Dickie begged. Yes, Dickie, Maida answered. I'll come back. Yes, Maida did come back. And what fun they all have. The little six in their private quarters, and the big six with their picnics and their adventures with the gypsies, is told in Maida's little house. And so sweet dreams, my friend, sleep well.